husband has an inappropriate relationship with his job is because God cursed Adam in his work. It's in toil that it happens. So it's fascinating. Remember, God gave Adam the gift of work in the garden, but now that work is going to come hard. It's not going to come easy. It's going to happen in the sweat of his brow. So when your husband, or you gals if you're not married, when your future husband, if he's stressing about the finances... You need to pray for him because he's living out the curse of the fall on Adam. Consequences are not pleasant, but because of sin, they're justified. Some people have a hard time reconciling that God dispenses judgment, but what God would be worth worshiping if he were completely blasé about what his children did. Today, we'll see the ramifications of human sin and God's covering in spite of it. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, with our continuing study entitled, Sin and Consequences. But see, the fall of Adam and Eve has implications now, both on the opportunity to bear children and on their relationship with their husband. Now we get that... In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, I got to see my wife have two kids, and I am grateful. She's a superwoman. I don't know how she did it, you know? I mean, it's just nuts. You know, you're just like, man. I know if it was me, I'd be like, give me an epidural twice. Ow. Listen, you ladies who've had kids, you know what this is like, okay? You, you realize that that, what, I didn't want to get into it. <laughs> Whenever I think of childbirth, I think of crowning. So you ladies, you know, it's like that last, when, that last, when the head, you know, and it's like, whew. I just want to, I want to get an epidural just thinking about it. Thank God for epidurals, though. For, I mean, so I know, listen, so, some of you ladies are really like, you're like, man, I ain't going to take no drugs, you know? You all know the reality of what happens when a woman gives birth. It's not pretty, but it gets done. And Pastor Bill just spoke about this, so I don't want to belabor the point. But obviously, it hurts a lot. Secondly, in regards to her husband, it says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, this is rough. What it says is that a woman's urge or her desire, her passion is going to be for her husband, but yet he will have a place of authority. Now, this is a fascinating concept, and I honestly could take two weeks in just exploring what this means. The reality is this, is most of you gals. Now, I have to say most because there's always exceptions to the rule. But most women would tell you, if they're really being honest, they'll tell you that in regards to their spouse, there is always a type of an insecurity that exists there. That there's just a times when whenever you feel like, I'm just not good enough for this guy. 
And most of you, you women, you know what that's like. I mean, there's, there's a, I, I shared it with the Marrieds Fellowship. There's this great thing where it shows this picture and, and, and the guy sitting on one end of the couch, he's kind of staring off into the space and the gal sitting on the other head, she looks very concerned and it shows his, her diary and his diary. Now we know it's not real because guys don't have diaries, but you could, you could, you can roll with it. And her diary says, you know, he showed up late for our dinner. And, and he just seemed really distracted. I wonder if he was thinking about somebody else and, you know, and there's this whole big thing of this insecurity. And he goes on, it's like, it's like three paragraphs. And she's like, and then he came home and, and he didn't have anything to say. And, and then he just went to bed and I cried myself to sleep. Now was her diary, it was this whole big thing. And then his diary is, the motorcycle can't start. I can't figure out why. Those of you who are married, you know what that's like, right? Because they're in, in a woman's fallenness, because her desire is for her husband, there is always this feeling, I, I desire this man. I desire to please this guy. I want this guy to be happy with me. And there's always this sometimes not so latent insecurity that you're just not enough, that you don't float his boat, that you're not doing it well enough. And I don't know how many times I've counseled couples and the, what they're disagreeing about is not the issue. That's just the playing field for, on the wife's side of things, this insecurity to play itself out. So I always tell women when they start talking about it, I'm like, listen, you have to realize that your husband is not wired. Because most guys, a woman's like, I'm concerned about our relationship. He's like, our relationship is just fine. I don't understand why she's so freaked out. Because of this. One of the curses of the fall for women is that they are desiring unity and, and, and happiness in their marriage. And there's a fear because of this desire that they're not good enough. Now, also, of course, in regards to gender roles in marriage, the idea of male headship, and that's a long discussion, and I don't have time to do it, but there is a lot of discussion about women desiring the position of headship that God has given to your husbands. Now, I need to say this. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, and you look at male and female roles, husband and wife roles, most people say, well, the Apostle Paul is sexist. The Bible is sexist. And you know what? I agree. Because Paul is anti-male. I'm serious. You women got it easy. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives and give up your lives for them. So if you have the option, option A, submit. Option B, die. Which one would you choose? (laughs) Uh, Submission, please. I'll keep my life. I'll submit. Now, I need to say this. You don't submit to your husband, you ladies. You submit to Jesus and your husband gets the benefit. Your submission is not to your husband. It's to the Lord. And your husband gets the benefit. And you guys, you don't die for your wife. You die for Jesus for your wife. We do it as unto the Lord and our spouses get the benefit. So it's interesting that the curse to the woman has to do with the pain and childbearing and discord within her relationship with her husband. Then we get to the, to the guys. In verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, wow, because you listen to your wife. So guys, don't ever listen to your wives. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's what happens if you get overly literal on the Bible. Look, it says, because you have listened to your wife. Guys will be like, that's why I don't put the remote control down. <laughs> She's like, change the station. No, you got to go read 
Genesis 3.17, it's because you listen to your wife. <laughs> but because you listen to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you. Now listen, you, you guys listen. In leading your families, you need to do what God says, not what your wife wants. And that's important. God holds husbands responsible for their families. And sometimes in our servant leadership, we need to serve our families by denying our spouses what they want. And that's a serious deal, isn't it? Sometimes your wife's saying, hey, look, you know, we can't tithe because I need to go get my hair done. I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm being facetious. Sorry. You guys, look. God is going to hold you responsible for your families, whether you like it or not. And would to God that at the end of our days, God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You sought to honor me and love your wife. And I'm serious, guys. We live in a day and age where guys are mailing it in. Most guys can tell you sports scores better than they can tell you Bible verses. So it's not a memorization problem. It's a passion problem. Most guys can tell you what they're the ticker of their stock portfolio is, but when it comes down to give me a verse, you know, give, give me a verse that you wash your wife with. I don't like reading. Come on. God holds us responsible as men. And real men step up to that plate. Real men say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hard after Jesus and I'm going to love my wife and I'm going to parent my kids. I'm going to father my children and I'm going to raise them. And I pray that as guys, we get in each other's faces about this stuff. Because, man, there is a battle going on for the souls of men in this culture, isn't there? And, guys, we, we need to be the most vigilant, the most vigilant to honor God in this. Now, look at how God curses Adam. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. God curses man in regards to work. You ladies, you ever wonder, like, why is my husband so obsessed about work? You can thank Adam. The reason your husband has an inappropriate relationship with his job is because God cursed Adam in his work. It's in toil that it happens. So it's fascinating. Remember, God gave Adam the gift of work in the garden, but now that work is going to come hard. It's not going to come easy. It's going to happen in the sweat of his brow. So when your husband, or you gals, if you're not married, when your future husband, if he's stressing about the finances, you need to pray for him because he's living out the curse of the fall on Adam. Because for a guy who, who feels, I need to provide for my family, I need to take care of my family, I need to take care of my spouse, you never feel like you have a handle on it. Just the way you ladies, you feel like your relationship is never what it could be. The, your husbands will never feel like your finances are what they could be. Because the curse of Adam as it relates to man is now work is not going to come easy. It's in toil. You feel like you're never getting anywhere. And when you do get somewhere, you feel like you're not really where you want to be. There is a total lack of trust for most guys. And I'll be honest with you. I'm right with all of you guys. I know what that's like. 
I know what it's like to say, Lord, you know, like, how are we going to take care of this? And I want, you know, my kids to go to college and I don't want them to be encumbered with debt. And how do I do that? And should we buy a newer car? Should we buy an old, just keep driving the old jalopies? What do we do? And how can we afford anything? And, you know, oh, I know what it's like. And Linda says, Daniel, we need to trust God. I'm like, oh, yeah, but, but, you guys know what I'm talking about? This is the curse being played out in the lives of guys. You ladies, if your husband's obsessed about work, he's home from work, but his brain is still at work, right here. And you can gently encourage him. Say, hey, you're just living out the fall. You ladies, if you do that gently and in love, that's how great it, When Lynn says stuff like that to me, I'm like, you're right. God has forgiven me. He's given me peace and rest. And I don't have to freak out. And I can say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And Lord, I realize I want bread for the next five years. But I can trust you with the daily bread, God. It's important for us. So now, in verse 20, it says this. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, which means life or living, because she was the mother of all living. Wow. They just got the curse of death, but yet Adam calls Eve the mother of all living. Do you ever think about that? Kind of a strange thing. I mean, death just entered the human system, and now you get that Eve is the mother of all living. And you wonder if Adam here has a kind of expectant faith. Remember God just said to the serpent that the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. And it's interesting that we know that Eve was in the lineage of Jesus. So it's almost that although, see, all the time in the scriptures, when you get God's just judgment, it's always tempered by his grace and his mercy. God does not judge or curse humanity because he likes it. God does it because that's, he can't be a just God without it. He can't be. He can't be a perfect God without calling a wrong a wrong. He's not worthy to be worshipped if he gives things a free pass. But yet, right as judgment is pronounced, now Eve is the mother of all living. Because she is going to be the matriarch of the line that brings us to Jesus. Now, look at verse 21. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Wow. Do you remember when they realized that they were naked, they grabbed fig leaves and they sewed them together? That was the beginning of religion, man trying to cover himself. God said, no, 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 you can't cover yourself. I'm going to cover you. This is the gospel. Do you remember when he said, if you eat of this tree, you'll surely die? Adam and Eve didn't die then. They died later, but someone died that day. The very first time they saw death was when God chose to cover them with skin. All of this, all of this absolutely points us to Jesus. 
It points us to Jesus because we try and cover ourselves with all sorts of religion, with keeping the law. For someone who's a Muslim, they try and go at, at, to Mecca one time and they pray there five times a day and they don't eat meat and they do all this stuff. Or if someone's a Buddhist, they try and meditate on nothing to clear themselves up, to connect. And if someone's a Hindu, they worship a, a pantheon of gods. And, and if you're just a good old-fashioned secular American, you just say, I'm a good person. But in the end of the day, that's all fig leaf religion, all of it. It's man's attempt to do what only God can do. And what God does is God takes an animal there in the garden and kills it and clothes them with a protective covering. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we have these filthy garments, as Paul talks about, and we, they get taken off and God puts us on new garments, true covering, God's own covering for them. It's beautiful. This, listen, if you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is what God wants to do for you. You've been spending your life in whatever way you try and do it. We've all been there. I could tell you stories of the ways that I tried to cover up my stuff. And you try and try and try. You try and do one thing and you think you got that fig leaf way on and then all of a sudden that fig leaf breaks and you have to find a new way. And, you know, maybe when you get a spouse, that's going to make you whole. But it doesn't. And then you, oh, the job. And you get that job. Oh, I need a better job. And, oh, I need a house, a bigger house. Oh, I need to get that plasma TV. And you go on and on and on, trying with all your might to try and cover yourself. And at some point, you're just exhausted. And then you're like, God, help me. And God's like, I did. Let me cover you. Are you done yet? So if you're here today or you're listening on the internet or you're watching a video, listen. God has already given the provision to cover you of your shame and your sin. And it comes through believing in Jesus. And this is why Jesus is different. Because Jesus covers us in the eyes of God. Covers our shame. Protects us. Now... Verse 22, this is going to set the stage for the whole rest of the Bible right here. Look at what happens. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned either way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is all about exile. They were in the garden. They had eaten. Their eyes were opened. And God said, listen, if they stay in this garden, they eat the tree of life, they're going to live forever in their fallen state. And God doesn't want that. So God drives them out of the garden. And really, the whole Bible is a story of exile and restoration. Exile and restoration. You're going to see it with the children of Israel over and over and over again through your entire Bible. But you know what's fascinating about this? God guards the way to the tree of life with cherubim. That's just a transliteration of a Hebrew word. It means an angelic being. And what most of us don't realize, unless you're really focusing on the Bible, 
is that in John's gospel, when Mary peers into the tomb in John 20, verses 11 to 13, listen to what it says. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Wow. See, I want to string a little picture together for you as we close. Do you remember when God, when we're going to get to this in the book of Exodus, remember when God made, they, had the, they made the tabernacle? And behind the veil, in the Holy of Holies, there's the Ark of the Covenant, right? And there was this big ark, and in it was the two tablets of the law, right? There was a jar of the manna from heaven. There was Aaron's rod that budded. Do you guys remember this? We're going to go through Exodus, and we're going to exp- I'll show you all this. But it's interesting. In this Ark of the Covenant, right? There is the two tables of the law, right? In it, there's a jar of the manna that rained from heaven. And there was Aaron's rod that budded because there was a rebellion against Aaron. And God said, look, let everybody who thinks they're the real deal put their, their rod here in the tent of meeting. And whichever one buds, whichever one sprouts, that's the one I've chosen. These three things are inside this ark and there's a, a slab on top of it. That's called the mercy seat. And on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, they went in to, to pour the blood atonement on the mercy seat. Now, on top of that mercy seat, there were two cherubim in gold. Why is all that in there? Well, because Jesus is the only one who ever kept the law. Aaron's rod that budded because Jesus was the chosen priesthood, the manna from heaven. Jesus said what? I am the bread of life. And all of that underneath this slab where the blood was spilt. And you can imagine Mary on that resurrection Sunday morning peering in and there a slab with angels on either side with blood stained from Jesus there. And you wonder if the light bulb went on in her mind. This is the ark of the... This is the mercy seat. That word mercy seat, if you have a King James style Bible, says the word propitiation. Same word. See, so it's fascinating that the way to the tree of life is guarded by two angels. Just the way when Mary peered in, looking at that slab of stone where Jesus' body had lain, no doubt blood-soaked from the beating he received, there was an angel on either end. All of this ties in together here, guarding the way to the tree of life in the tabernacle and ultimately in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, and then on Resurrection Sunday because the way to life is through whom? Through Jesus. God doesn't want humanity to live forever in our lostness. Instead, he wants us to live forever in our new perfections given by his grace because of Jesus Christ. All the way seen right there in the Garden of Eden. And it begins the story. Here, sin and consequences. Adam and Eve fall. There are consequences. And the whole rest of the Bible from here is about God bringing people back. And it's interesting. The end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 20 and 21, you're going to find the new Jerusalem with a new garden, with a tree of life, and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where we're going to dwell with him Forever. Jesus is real. 
want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is Real Radio. And I realize that some of you right now as you're hearing my voice, you can look back on your life to a time when you really were walking with the Lord. And maybe you just found your way to this program or maybe you've been checking it out over the last days and weeks and months and you're saying, man, I need to get back to following Jesus. Listen, there's a story in the Bible of the son who took his inheritance and he squandered it. He, he left the father's home and he ended up having all these experiences. Some were great and it ended up pretty lousy. And as he was sitting there and he was feeding pigs, he thought about his father's house and the blessings that were there and that the servants who were there were doing better than he was doing. And that prodigal son made the decision to return home. And I believe that some of you right now, are you're hearing my voice and it's time for you to return to your father's house. You've gotten away and you miss the blessings of your father's house. Do you feel disconnected from God? You feel like you don't even know who you are anymore or you do not like who you've become. Like the prodigal son, you need to simply return to your father's house. And in that story, it's an amazing picture because the father is looking at the hillside and he sees his son returning and the father literally gets up and runs to his son. The father was so excited and he wrapped his arms around his son, he kissed him and he blessed him. And if you come back to Jesus today, the Father is waiting for you to wrap you up in His arms, to clean you up, and to turn you back into the world as a restored child. Come home to your Father's house today. God bless you.